We're, we're in this series, MySpace. You know, it's mine. Belongs to me. And, and, and we've been looking at this kind of uh, me, mine mentality that we've developed as a society. And I, I think that it has effectively changed our ethics, our morals, and, and how we uh, embrace life or deal with life. And uh, I said before, this isn't some philosophical concept that's way out there. The reality is it's affected the world that we live in. It's created new standards. And that when it comes to this me-my mentality where my accomplishments, my fulfillment, you know, my satisfaction, my desires, my happiness is first and foremost in your life. When that kind of mentality rules, I think things get out of sync in our lives. And I think it comes with a huge price tag, a price tag that we are paying for in our homes, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our communities, and I want to suggest in our country that it comes with a high, high price tag. And I challenged you at the beginning of this series that said, there comes a point in your life, I believe, where you have to decide. You have to decide if you're going to continue to go in the direction of culture. You know, buying into this candy-coated M&M mentality, this, this me-mine mentality. Or are you going to move in God's direction? Are you going to give God his place in your space? And today we're going to look at an area where this me-my mentality, I think, reigns most supreme. And that's the area of finances. Mine. I mean, just think about it. You grab your wallet, you grab your money, and it's mine. And we have a passion about this mentality. I mean, when it, when it comes to my money, this M&M mentality is a monster. I mean, it, it gets a hold of us. It's my money. It's my check. It's my house. It's my car. It's my stuff. Mine, 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 mine. Economy's been in the news a lot lately. And I think most of us watch and with a little bit of nervousness, uh, there's been a lot of talk these days about foreclosures and bankruptcies and the, the failing economy. And I want to suggest to you something to ponder and think about. But I think it is directly connected to this me-my mentality. In fact, I want to suggest that if we're going to get a handle on finances, we've got to give God his place in our space. In our lives. Mine. You know, I encourage you to read the, the book of uh, Proverbs. Uh, just curiosity, not to embarrass anyone, but how many of you are reading? Reading the book? Okay, good, good. I was talking to a guy this week that said he's doing a uh, Proverbs challenge with his son. And he said basically what, it, what they do is they read a chapter each day, and then they see what jumps at them out of that chapter, and they email each other and talk about how that verse spoke to them, and they kind of explain why it spoke to them. And he said that it, it has done a couple things for him. One, it made him think about what he's really reading and to pay attention. 
And it also gave him an accountability partner to kind of follow through. And just a suggestion if you initially was like, oh, I'm going to do that, and you haven't done it yet, find somebody else that hasn't done it and uh, get in a challenge with them. It, it sounds like a great way to connect. In fact, I think that kind of connection pays in high dividends. My, my bet is that relationships are deepened and that it brings about growth in, in those individuals' lives. Today, we're going to get God's bent. And we're going to find that the book of Proverbs has a lot to say when it comes to finances. And I believe that if we give God his place in that space, my money, that it'll help improve the way we manage money. It has the potential, I think, to change our financial futures. And I would say to those of you that are, that are young, really listen. You know, I, every time I ever speak on this topic, people go, man, I wish somebody would have caught us when we were first establishing our homes and stuff and talked to us about managing money. Because here's the choice you get in life. You, you've got to decide. If you do not learn to manage your money, your money will manage you. Anybody figure that one out lately? I mean, it, it's true. It's true. There, there are a lot of books out on, like, the joy of cooking, the joy of gardening, the joy of sex. You know, you've read those books? You know, they're, they're well-written. Well, I ran across an article not long ago in Inc. Magazine. It was The Joy of Debt. Yeah, it started out, it says, being in hawks all the rage, are you missing something? And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Are you joking? I mean, there is nothing that is more problematic, that causes more trouble, more worries, than being under financial pressure. You know, the, the fact is, the Bible says we shouldn't get ourselves in that position. We shouldn't put ourselves in a, in a position where financially we're strapped. Because the reality is it affects us emotionally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. I was reading stats not long ago. 64% of all marriages argue about money. You know, 54% of divorces are because of money. See, money, money's an issue. And so let's look at what God has to say. And I want you to remember Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon's the richest man that ever, ever lived. You know, Bill Gates had nothing on this guy. So I think you listen up because he's going to give us some wisdom, I think, when it comes to money. And the first thing is you need to keep good records. You need to keep good records. Proverbs 27, 23, it says, Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks. Hmm. That's a little odd. We've got to remember Solomon's day, a lot of shepherds running around. Any shepherds in the house today? <laughs> Just Someone goes, yes, I'm Mr. Shepherd, and this is Mrs. Shepherd. And, okay. Um, but the fact is there were a lot of shepherds. And so most people's assets were with livestock, you know, whether, whether it was cows or sheep or, or whatever. Solomon says you've got to know your assets. You've got to know where your money goes. You've got to keep good records. It's a principle of accounting. Accountants that are in the house know what we're talking about, that you really need to understand 
where your money is going. Have you ever, ever made the comment, I just don't know where my money goes? That statement, friends, creates havoc in households, creates havoc in my space, creates havoc in my finances. It will mess you up. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price. You've got to know where your money goes in, in life. There's a new term out in psycho, uh, psychology circles. It's called retail therapy. You like that? Retail therapy. I like retail therapy. It's where people go and they buy stuff. Why? So they feel better about themselves. Now, there, there's some truth to that, isn't there? You buy something, you feel better. But what they have found, studies have shown that people go out and do this without calculating the cost, without even doing price comparisons or evaluating the value. Basically, they found people were willing to pay two and three times the value of something just because of what it did for them, the therapy. And I'm convinced we live in a society that you take retail therapy and easy credit, and friends, that equals disaster. You know, buyers beware. Be careful here. In fact, I want to suggest you turn that around and that buyers be aware when you're buying. You need to write things down. You need to make and maintain good notes. Uh, get the facts at, at any price. You know, someone early in my life told me that you need to know four things when it comes to money. You need to know what I owe, what I own, what I earn, and where it goes. And if you get those four things right, it helps a lot in managing money. Now, I know as I'm talking right now, some of you are going, it's my money. I'll do what I want with my money when I want and how I want, right? I told you this me mentality, it kicks in hard. You know, some of you are going, well, you know, I hear you, but I just don't have time to keep good records. Don't raise your hand, but some of you that was going through your mind, I just don't have time to do that. Do you not? I mean, do you have more time on your hands than most? Because what I find is you end up worrying. I mean, do you have time to worry about your money? Because that's what happens when you don't keep good records. In other words, you can either worry or you can take Solomon's advice that's good advice and start keeping good records. Second thing is it kind of uh, dovetails into this. Operate with a plan. Operate with a plan. Those of you that have been reading, have you noticed the word plan comes up a lot? I mean, plan your life. You know, plan what you're going to do today. You know, we talked about that when we talked about work. Plan for the future. Plan and you will accomplish, Solomon says. When it it comes to finances, you have to operate with a plan. You need to have a plan when it comes to your finances. How, How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know where you're going financially? How many of you have financial goals set in your life? Proverbs 21, 5, it says, plan carefully. Read with me. And you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. There's, there's a fallacy 
in our world today that financial freedom is based on what we make. It's not. Financial freedom is determined by what you spend. In other words, living within our means is not really vogue, but it's prudent. It's biblical. You know, if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. If you plan, it'll help you avoid overspending. Retail therapy, it'll help you with that. It'll keep you from making those impulse buys. Again, some of you are going, it's my money. I'll spend it how I want to spend it. And that'll just mess you up. That, that kind of mentality is prevalent in our society today. You know, Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise save for the future, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. You know, God says, you know what? There's a little bit of an IQ test here when it comes to finances. I mean, how do I pass that test? How do, how do I resist? How do you spell relief financially? You ready? B-U-D-G-E-T, budget. There's something. Older people are going, yeah, people need to budget these days. And they're right. It's one of the things they're absolutely dead on when it comes to finances. You know, budget simply means operating with a plan that you know ahead of time where, where you're going. It tells your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where your money went in life. You know, I, sometimes spending gets, at, gets out of hand. We get ourselves in, in situations and we feel like we're drowning. You know, and if you, you find yourself there, you know, seek counsel. Seek advice. You know, let, let someone weigh in with you so that you can try and get a handle on things. If you're married, you ought to together, together, this is crucial, decide a mutual plan that works. Every once in a while, I'll have someone say, well, I told my wife or I told my husband, this is the way things are, and they'll just, you know. It's like, no, it's a, it's a mutual thing. Pray about it. Ask God's wisdom. Set priorities. Come up with a game plan and get this and stick with it. Ooh. See, a plan's only a plan if you put it in place. Three, safe for the future. Safe for the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, the wise save for the future. That's the opposite of foolish or, or stupid. They save for the future. Where, where do you spend your money? You know, so many times I, I look at society today and I think, who spends everything they got? Well, I'll tell you who. The average American. Do you, do you know stats are startling, and I've, I've tracked this for 20-something 20, 20 years as I, I've talked about money. In 2007, do you know how much money the average American saved? You ready? Negative 1.2. It's the second year in a row we've went down. That means not only did we not save, we dug into money that we didn't have and some of you may be sitting going, well, I saved X amount last year. Well, that means someone else went that much further the other way. You know, living within our means. I, I think we live in a society that when you say live within your means, they go, well, I'm able to put it on a charge card. And that means I'm living within my means. I mean, I think we really believe that. You know, Proverbs 13 and 11 says, those who accumulate little by little will grow rich. 
It's talking about saving, setting some savings goals, some spending goals, some giving goals. You know, then, then you'll know where your money goes. You'll know where you're at. You'll be able to look at a, a baseline. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, consider the ant. Don't you love being compared to an ant? How industrious he is. He stores up little by little in the summer so that when the winter comes, he's not devastated. I read something that troubles me, and I think it's going to impact ministry as as, uh, the church faces the, the future. And that is, financial experts say that baby boomers that are retiring right now or will retire over the next few years are stepping into retirement with zero savings. Zero. You know why? Because we've spent it all. And, you know, why do we spend it all? I mean, I think we've got to get at that, that question. I mean, part of the problem is we're never satisfied. We're, we're always craving what, what other people have. In other words, we've got to be beware of the envy monster, you know, trying to keep up with the Jones mentality. Because, friends, when you buy into that, it will take everything you have. And it will leave you wanting in the end. It'll take it all. I mean, the, the internal dialogue that happens in our lives, I think, just eats at us. You know, you're walking, maybe run into a friend. You're talking, you're like, ooh, cool, cool watch. At least my shoes look better than theirs. Dressed a little nicer. I think I need a new watch. Anybody have conversations like that? I mean, in your head... It's kicking in. Great car. Man, I need a car like that. I'm a good person like them. I I deserve that car. When can I pick up my car? I need a new car. True? True? If we're honest, that kind of conversation happens all the time in our head, this dialogue. You know, whether we're in the mall or maybe at a neighbor's or at school or office, here at church, it happens. When, when we compare, friends, when you compare, understand that you will always fall short at some point with someone. Someone's going to have something a little nicer, a little, little better. And when that envy monster kicks in, guess who loses? You lose. You lose. It'll take you down. You start thinking you need more. You need bigger. You need better. You need faster. You need more expensive. You need the latest model or whatever. Solomon says, don't go there. Don't go there. You need to learn to save for the future. Don't let that eat you alive. See, if you're going to save for the future, you've got to get a handle on our next thing. And these are kind of connected. Be content. Be content. We have to learn to be content with what we have. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content. In other words, it doesn't come natural. You've got to work on it. Contentment, I'm convinced, is missing in my space in the U.S. When it comes to my space, my stuff, I think we lack contentment. In fact, we're, we're kind of the, the jet set that become the debt set because it messes us up, and mentally it gets in your head, and it just, it'll jam you. You know, Proverbs 21, it says, indulge in luxuries, wine, and rich food will never make you wealthy. Hmm, 
constantly faced with choices in our society. You know, spend money now. You know, bring pleasure here and now rather than saving for the future. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Why do we, we spend it now? Why aren't we satisfied with what we have? I, I think it's because we bought into TV. TV has done a lot to get in our head. Ad agencies have gotten in our head. And they say, and here's what we're buying into, if I have more, I'll be happy. If I have more, I'll really be happy. I'll find satisfaction. And friends, I want to suggest to you, if that was true, then the person with the most stuff would be the happiest. And all you got to do is watch. And you realize that that's obviously not true. Those that have the most aren't always the happiest. If you're counting on that mentality to provide you with lasting satisfaction, it will fall short. It will fall short. Paul says in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, be content with what you have. You know, sometimes we get so busy trying to get more. Anybody on that? Feel like you're on a treadmill? I need more that what we do is we fail to enjoy what we have. And at times, I think this is toxic in families and households. You know, we get overextended. We're, we're working our tail off trying to make ends meet, and we run, 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 run. And meanwhile, our, our home lives are deteriorating. Everyone's exhausted and irritable, and we're so busy making a living, we fail to live life. I mean, really live it. You ever feel like that? In those moments when you can step back from it? You know how many absentee fathers and moms? Because, well, we need more things. Your kids don't need more things. They need more time. And I know as I say that, there's someone out there that's going, I give my kids quality time. Really? It's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. If I were to ask your kids, if I was to go to them and say, do you want quality time with your parents or quantity time? First of all, they'd look at me like, what's the difference? You know, because time, any time, to them is quality. But I guarantee you, they would tell you, they'll take quantity over quality, unless they're teenagers, and then that's a whole nother ballgame. It's true. See, we, I, I know how this goes, because we rationalize our actions, and I said last week, rational lies. They're lies. We, we tell ourselves lies. It's only temporary. I know we're running really hard right now. We're trying to make ends meet, but it's temporary. It'll settle down. We'll get adjusted. We'll get our priorities right. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? You're you're not kidding anybody else. You're just lying to yourself. Because here's the reality. Your yearnings, your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. You You ever figure that one out? You get a raise. Where's it go? It's gone. We grow into it, you know. It's always like that. You're always going to want the next level. That, that's built in our nature. You know, someone said, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. 
Learn to enjoy what you have. It's key. It's a basis. Put God first. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflowing. Some of you are going, I don't have a barn. Plug in some other word there, whatever floats your boat. It's a principle of giving. It's a principle of putting God first in our lives. When, When it comes to money... Now, I told you, this me, my mentality kicks in hard now. I mean, big time. Because the fact is, we spend most of our days earning money, as we talked about last week, investing money, making money, saving money, spending money, using money, thinking about money, 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 money. It's easy to lose perspective that in the end, it all belongs to God. It's all God's. No, it's not. It's mine. You know, I've earned it with my hands. I, I cashed the check. In fact, I looked on my account last night, and my name's on that account. It's mine. It's mine. I mean, this one's so bad, sometimes we sit with our spouses. Mine. No, it's mine. That's my best impression of Cindy. <laughs> hey, I take, I take the allowance she gives me, and I spend all $20 every week. So, now, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's weird how this kicks in. Mine! And I always say to people when they go, it's mine, I go, well, who gave you talent? You know, who gave you creativity? Who gave you the opportunities? Who gave you the health? Who gave you what you have? You see, putting God first is just an expression of gratitude. When my money mentality rules, it messes you up on a lot of different levels. I mean, if you want God to bless your family, you put your family first with God. You want God to bless your marriage, you put your marriage first with God. You want God to bless your career, put your career with God. You want God to bless your finances, you put your finances with God. You want God to bless your time on this planet, put your time with God and put him first. Because here's what I know, and it's scriptural, and I have seen it in people's lives. Wherever God is first, wherever God blesses. It's just a fact. I've never seen that one not broken. I mean, God always comes through. He's God. He wants to be first in your life. I mean, it, it just it makes sense. You know, I've shared many times, uh, Cindy and I, early in our Christian walks, we just made a commitment and said, you know what? God's first. God's first in everything. God's first when it comes to finances. When we first got married, we made a commitment as a couple. You know, I told you, sit down as a couple and make commitments and decide. And we decided God's going to get the first fruits of, of everything we have. You know, we give God the tithe, the, the 10% before anything else, before anything else happens financially in our lives. We give God that. And through the years, here, here's what I figured out early in my life. All right? I'll just be honest. There, there were times where we paid our bills... And then 
we waited to see what was left over. And friends, here's what I figured out. You never have anything left over if that's the route you go. But if you put God first, it was amazing. As we have honored God in our marriage, whether in times of plenty or want, good times or bad, God has always seen us through. You know, seven or eight years ago, God began pressing, started with Cindy, just pressing that the biggest bill that we would pay each month, so to speak, the biggest check that we would write would be to God. And it was a little staggering, to to be honest, initially, as we looked at that. And so we started making movement in our lives toward that. And then we surpassed that. And it has been an amazing thing as I've watched God work through our lives. And I'm not saying that to say, hey, look at at us. You know, God's blessed us. But there are many of you, I could go around the room and people would say, you know, that's true. You know, people ask me often, they go, well, where did that whole 10% tithe thing come from? Why did God pick 10%? I don't know. You know, I've said this before that, you know, God could have picked any number. He could have said, well, how about 70%? 30, you know, whatever. Obviously, God doesn't need our money. But I think it's because he wanted to get at the heart. He wanted to get at the heart, what represents, what money represents to us. You know, Malachi says, uh, bring the whole tithe. That's That's the giving of the heart into my storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if it will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room for it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. Some of you are going, well, I'm not a farmer. I don't care if it eats my crops or not. Just, it's talking about your, your, what you have. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, the insurance policy. Some people read that and they go, I just don't like that. They ought to throw it out of the Bible. And I read that and, and I sense that it's a, it's a calling from God to say, hey, you put me first, I'll bless you, I'll protect you. Now, do not misunderstand me. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials along the way and problems. But God says, you know what, I'll see you through. It's the one place God throws a gauntlet down and says, test me. Check, check it out, see if it doesn't work. I have conversations with people often, and they'll go, I just can't figure out why the wheels are falling off the cart in my life. You know, I just can't seem to get back up. God says, test, test. In fact, I would challenge you. Put, put God first in this area of your life. And, and here, here's the challenge. Take that step. And then give yourself a reasonable amount of time. And I don't know what that is. That's, that's up to you. But take that step, and if God does not keep his promise, then don't keep yours. You know, unplug. Because through the years, and I, I wish I had kept every letter I've ever received or email or as I've had conversations with people that have watched their life just shift and change because they took a step and said, you know, I'm going to put God first. It's no longer mine but I'm going to give God his place. And there, I've heard incredible things in people's lives, but it's a matter of gratitude. It's a matter of trust. You know, it's interesting. 
I don't know if you've got money with you, but if you look at a dollar bill on the back of it, I should have brought my, I'm getting older. It says, in God, we trust. That's a strange thing. In God, we trust on our money has been since we've had money. And I think our forefathers, I think they fundamentally understood, whether, whether it was a dollar bill or a 20 or a 100, that I think they understood that we needed something before us. It says, in God we trust. I, I think it's not an accident that they knew when it comes to finances, we, we just struggle in this area. We just struggle with, with giving God his place in my space, my money. And so he said, you know what? Every time you spend one of these, it's going to be there. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? I mean, one more thing that we just got to kind of process on this, and that is, why, why do we get in financial trouble anyway? You know, Isaiah says, why spend money on what does not satisfy? And I, and I think that's the core of it. The main reason we get in debt is we're looking for things to satisfy us. If, if I just get this, I'll be happy. And it's so short-lived. The fact is, things don't give permanent satisfaction. Money won't bring. I don't care if you've got a stockpile of it. It will not bring satisfaction. You may think it will, but it won't. And the fact is, it will mess you up. Usually, when things get out of control financially, it is really the fact that we are not in line with God's purpose for our life, that we've got tripped up somewhere along the way. I've said over and over, I mean, you may need advice financially, but the greater need is you need a life manager. You need a God that can help you get things in perspective. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, for they will be fully satisfied. In other words, satisfaction comes from being who God created you to be, from knowing God and loving God and being loved by God. So that regardless of what's going on in the economy, I'm going to say it, recession, it doesn't matter. If it's times of great growth, it doesn't matter. You find satisfaction because you're tethered to God. Satisfaction is not built by looking at your, your account balance or your savings balance or your annual income. It's about a relationship with God. You know, God will help us in every single area. When you finally get that, you find the real deal. You find real satisfaction in life. I don't know why God chose finances as kind of the acid test, but he, but he did. Luke 16, Jesus said, If you're not faithful in handling worldly wealth, God will not trust you with spiritual blessings. Hmm. See, I think God looks at you and I. It says, you know, are you using your finances 
to make a difference? Have you given God his place in that space? And real quick, I just ask, what are the principles? You know, we've covered five principles, basically. What principles are you violating? You know, do you need to ask God to help you with? You know, for some of you, you just need to, to get a game plan. You need to start keeping records. You know, maybe God's pressing on you today to, to start kind of tallying and figuring and see, see where your money's going. You know, some of you need to put together a budget, you know, begin to operate with a plan. Ask God to help you with that. That's, that is an important part. That is a spiritual thing. You know, instead of going with, well, we'll see what happens, and hey, I might do a little retail therapy, and, you know, get a plan. You know, save for the future. Save for the future. Accumulate a little by little by little, and it'll grow. You know, ask God to help you learn to be content, because we, we do come out of a society that just want, want, want. You know, ask God to give you the strength to put him first, you know, out of gratitude, out of faith. God's wisdom for my finances. See, I believe if you put those five principles to work, and hear this, it's not a pick and choose. You go, well, I'll take number one and number two, and oh, no, not that, you know. It's not a pick and choose. They, They all come together. Every once in a while, I'll have someone, they'll go, well, I did this and this, my life's a mess. It's like, you gotta, you got to put it all. It's a solid foundation. When you get all those things in place, when you give God his place in your space, God says, I'll bless your life. That's just a fact. Let, let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, our stuff, It evokes a lot of passion. God, it's so hard to hold things loosely. But God, I pray that you would instill in each of us the, the importance, the magnitude of what finances do in our life, the havoc it creates, the pressures, the tensions. It's so easy just to run, run, run and not really pay attention to anything. God, I pray that um, we'd all be good stewards with whatever you've given us, whether it's a little or a lot. God, I thank you that you care about what's going on. That You want to be a part of our lives on every avenue, every walk, every place. God, we give you the glory, and we thank you. You have put us in a perfect place, a nation that's blessed. God, may everything we say and do, may it be pleasing in your sight. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.